This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. He was gone. He was off to the races. Just when you thought it was going to be a huge play, a big missed field goal return up the left. Talk about an explosive sudden change play. This place is deadly quiet right now. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Hey, hey, it is the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown, Greg Mackling here, and Doug. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, through the magic of, I don't know if we can blame it on the weather. Through the magic of backup quarterbacks? Okay. It wasn't that simple. Andrew Buckley starting for the Calgary Stampeders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Looked like world beaters, 23-5 to over the Calgary Stampeders. They shut out the Stampeders in the first half. And lo and behold, after all this misdirection and all these awkward twists and turns to the season, they... Managed to seal the deal and get the home playoff game against Edmonton coming up this Sunday at IGF. Was it just that simple that the Calgary Stampeders decided they needed to rest Bo Levi Mitchell? Yeah, it was surprising in the sense that, you know, they weren't afraid of losing three games in a row going into a bye week before they were actually going to play a football game. So that's always an eye-opener when, hey, we're just going to, you know, this game doesn't mean much to us. We're going to rest our starting quarterback. And, you know, it was, it was a fantastic windfall for, for Winnipeg. Obviously, we're we're not going to, uh, we can't speculate where they would have won the game or not. Uh, Calgary probably would have played a little bit better had Bo Levi been in there uh, to the tune of probably fewer than seven sacks and seven turnovers. But uh, you can't discount the way the defensive line played against the starting offensive line, the way they stopped the run. They did a lot of good things out there, but it was just a little uh, confusing why, you know, Calgary didn't feel it was important with another week of rest coming before they would even have a game that, that I thought Bo Levi would at least get half of the game but you know uh, Dave Dickinson had different ideas and and now they have a long time to think about all three of those losses uh, before they host the Western Final. so we'll see how that goes. Well, hopefully uh, you and I will be right here next week talking about Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel and the Calgary Stampeders and how the Bombers plot for the Western Final, but there is some business to take care of before we discuss this, and the big question will be the question all week, and as we record this, uh, Mike O'Shea said on the Coaches Show right here on 680 CJOB that uh, he believes Matt Nichols will be ready to play on Sunday. Not exactly, in my mind, a ringing endorsement or the strongest statement on the planet as to whether or not Nichols will be available on Sunday. Where do you think the situation lies in terms of Matt Nichols and his health at, at, at this moment? Well, I think a lot will be revealed once you find out starting tomorrow or today when this podcast comes out, um, um, whether Matt Nichols is practicing or not, right? Mm-hmm. And whether he is or running around with the first team or whether they're waiting until the game before he you know, steps on the field, that'll give you an indication of severity of the injury, obviously. Um, I think everyone, you know, uh, judging from what Michael Shea said and, and everything that's going around, I think the expectation is that he's going to start this game. Uh, whether he ends up fish- finishing it or not will, will be something else, uh, you know, because, like I said, uh, if uh, he's not able to practice this week and then he starts on Sunday, um, hopefully they're, uh, the thinking is is that they're just trying to give him as much rest on this on this damaged uh, leg as, as much as possible prior to it and see if he can make it through the game. And, uh, you know, obviously it would put a lot of us uh, at rest seeing him practice during the week. 
week. But, you know, that'll be our biggest indication of how severe this 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 situation is, is whether he can even practice on it or not. Well, O'Shea went on to add that he doesn't even really know if Nichols <laughs> needs to practice this oh, week. That's, that's what you better say if your starting quarterback is not going to be practicing. You know, that, that kind of gives us an indication that he might not uh, be involved with the first-team offense uh, until game day on Sunday, which tells us this is quite a serious deal here, and they want to give it every single minute they can to heal and recover before they put out the stress. The problem with practicing is it can tell you right away, boom, you can make things worse. You can find out, hey, look at what I'm limited in doing. And you actually take away those days of recovery that, you know, they're, they're hoping, crossing their fingers, treatment on top of treatment on top of treatment. If you do nothing, then by Sunday, it might be good enough to make it through your whole game. But if you people practice it at quite a high tempo, quite a, a quick speed, and and you can aggravate it and find out, and then all of a sudden now he's got no chance of playing because you you put him out in harm's way, you exposed him on Wednesday as opposed to on Sunday. So uh, it'll be interesting what happens this week, and it'll also be interesting to see uh, you know if he can finish the game and if he's at 100%, but I, I think there's no doubt in anyone's mind that he's going to get the start on Sunday. Now, we're under the impression that this is a strained calf and to what extent the muscle is strained, we don't know. Have you experienced an injury like that yourself, Doug? Is there anything that you can do? Is You know, we, we hear about athletes who get injections, they get shots. Is it different <laughs> from, a, from a bone bruise or a break in a bone where you could maybe even tape it or that you can take a shot? What can you do in the case of a, a muscle that uh, we might not be aware of as uh, you know a layperson. You know, if it is a calf muscle, I can honestly tell you I've never had this problem before. So um, yeah, you know, there's uh, I'm sure there are things that they can do to try and um, mask. Obviously, obviously, uh, he's probably going to be on a bunch of uh, of anti-inflammatory medications right now to get the swelling down, so on and so forth. And I'm sure he'll be on some significant painkillers on uh, Sunday so he can push through it. Um, it's a question of, you know, will he make it worse if he plays and so on and so on. And these are all, you know, things up in the air that we don't know right. that aren't available to us. But, yeah, I, I mean, there's uh, things you can do in terms of um, – I don't think you can brace your calf or, or tape it a certain way. I think, I think, uh, you know, your, your danger is affecting mobility, affecting throwing mechanic. Like if you do something too profound to take, you know, whatever's wrong out of the equation, then what else are you affecting by safeguarding that? Right. And, and Matt Nichols, you know, you can't have him at 50% to beat Mike Riley in the Edmonton Eskimos. You, you need him as unencumbered and uninhibited as possible out there. You don't want some crazy tape job and you don't want him so looped up on painkillers that, you know, he's throwing his checkdowns to you on, on the sideline or something like that, right? So we, uh, you know, I, I think they go heavy on the on the rehabilitation and, and the treatment during the week and, and try to keep him off as long as possible and then have your fingers cross. We certainly know he's he's a tough player and he's a durable guy and he's uh he's he's got a a pain tolerance we've obviously seen that demonstrated time and again so um hopefully it's something uh he can just motor through I'm going to read something uh, that I read in one of the local newspapers. A brilliant scribe uh, put these words to paper, and I'm going to read them to you. Talking about my ghostwriter. 
Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Normally, when facing a pivot who is the likely winner of the league's most outstanding player award, you have your work cut out for you. And by all means, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will when they face Mike Riley and the Edmonton Eskimos in the West Division semifinal at Investors Group Field on Sunday. Yet, more important than how Riley did over the course of the season and how his team is currently on a five-game winning streak is how they've done against their next opponent. And that's when the perception of the league's number one, quote-unquote, ranked team gets brought back to earth in a hurry. You think that Matt Nichols, head-to-head, is better? Well, he has done better, head-to-head, in in both games they've beat. You know, the, the interesting thing about this Edmonton Eskimo thing is, like, you see the CFL rankings and ratings that, that came out today, and Edmonton's number one in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, even though they have the, they're tied for the second best record in the CFL. They're ranked sixth out of nine teams right now, uh, just because of the way they've played of late and the injuries that have happened, so on and so forth. But, you know, for me, obviously that's important the fact that Edmonton has won five games in a row, they're hot going into the playoffs. Uh, they got they're rolling right now. They they got that momentum. They have those positive experiences behind them. But more important, or equally important, is is matchups, right? And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers match up really good against Edmonton. Uh, there's a reason they're the only team in the CFL that Edmonton has not beaten this entire season. Now, obviously, they have their challenges due to players that, that are injured, uh, number one being uh, uh, Matt Nichols. And if he's not 100%, that's really going to uh, reduce their chances of being successful in this game. But, I mean, they uh, they play them really well. That's just how it is sometimes, right? You, you No matter what happens in a season, you just know. Sometimes you just get this feeling you have – you have this way of matching up against a team, you just beat them. You know, you're just better than them, and you can do that consistently. And I think there's a couple things that you have to like about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers facing this team if Matt Nichols is healthy. A, Mike Riley's a lot more carefree with the football, throws it into dangerous uh, positions and, and makes some some questionable decisions with the football. Uh, both games that they played, Matt Nichols turn, did not turn the ball over. Uh, Mike Riley did. I believe he threw two picks to Chris Randall, one of which went back for an interception. And so when you have a quarterback out there that's not as conservative and you know that this defense thrives on balls that can be contested in the air, right? They have some guys back there. They might not you know, for large portions of the game, be uh, be white on rice in terms of their their coveraging, uh, how how close they're going to be to intended targets. But you know, they can these guys can make plays on the right. football. They, they you know the the ball hawking skills are, are not to be uh, um, underrated by by that secondary. And I watched I watched both games. Um, coming into uh, into this matchup against Edmonton, and number of time Riley totally believes in his receivers to the point where he's going to throw the ball up there into double coverage. Uh, he's going to make point. He just expects them to come down with it, and luckily he's got a receiving core that most of the time they do. But all it takes is one or two throws where a guy like you know T.J. Heath or Chris Randall is able to bait him and break on that football, and that's a game changer, right? Because when these guys, when the Bombers and and the defensive players uh, make plays like that, they win football games. Well, part of Mike Riley's success 
is that he will throw the ball uh, like a lot of NFL quarterbacks will and a lot of successful quarterbacks over the years uh, do, and that's to throw the ball before the receiver makes his break in his pattern just to get that extra split second advantage over the defense. And if you have a receiver that doesn't exactly run the pattern as designed, that's when you can run into trouble, and Riley uh, lives and dies by that, plain and simply. Yeah, you know, I think a guy like Matt Nichols, if it's not there, he doesn't force it. You know, and he'll he'll throw the ball out of bounds. He'll take a sack. He'll he'll do whatever. He's not gonna he's not gonna put the ball into uh, dangerous spots. And Raleigh, on the other hand, uh, he just he doesn't seem to have that same patience. Well, his biggest strength you know? and or is his biggest weakness is the idea that he can make something happen on every single play. He yeah. doesn't know when to pull the pin. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't know. Hey, live to play on another down, kind of thing. Uh, he'll put it up for grabs uh, if he's being, you know, he'll he'll scramble, trying to make something out of nothing. But, you know, if they can get a balanced rush in on Riley and uh, and force him to to get rid of that ball in a hurry, like I say, he's not going to eat it and he's not going to throw it out of bounds for the most part. He's going to count on his on his guys, or at least he has in the previous games. It's been interesting when they already talked to him about this uh, impending playoff matchup coming up, you know, turnovers was the first thing out of his mouth. He, he was cognizant of the fact that, you know, that's why, uh, in large part, why Winnipeg was able to beat uh, the Edmonton Eskimos in both the previous games was because they win when they win the turnover battle, they, they win the football game. They don't hand you the ball ever. You know, and uh, I think this offense is is due to get back together and and uh, and put the wheels back on. I think the other thing that the Eskimos would point to is the fact that uh, when the Bombers beat them to end their winning streak, uh, the Eskimos were very banged up, and when the Bombers beat them, the last team to beat them, in fact, uh, the Eskimos were uh, very injured and, and just on the brink of becoming healthy, okay. and so that the Blue Bombers have not really played a healthy Edmonton Eskimo. Club. Well, I, I think you know the game where they played Edmonton. And in Edmonton, that was September 30th, I think uh, they had, uh, I mean, Zostra was there and, and Walker was there and Bowman was playing in that game and Riley was there. And, you know, they, they had a pretty good, uh, Sewell was there on the defensive line. Um, there was a lot of guys that were back and involved in, in that football game. Um you know, they probably didn't have. Obviously, C.J. Gable's a new uh, addition to the is football he the, team. Is he the wild card here? I I don't know how a guy you pick up like that, like near the end of the year, is all of a sudden. I mean, they have a good offensive line, so obviously, and big he's, guy. Uh, he's Cold a highly weather. he's a highly motivated guy. But it's not like I like their running attack all of a sudden better than Winnipeg's, right? So. So for me, uh, you know, that game they won in Edmonton when they had those weapons were still there. That was what was so impressive about. Not only was that the best game that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers played defensively probably the entire year, okay, but uh, Edmonton still had that arsenal of players. Those guys were there, fully functional, ready to go. And uh, and they won that football game. So that, that tells me, and it was a similar play out to the first one. You know, Riley made couple mistakes and uh, it cost his football team and and you think about it too Medlock missed uh, they won that game by nine Medlock missed another he went 0 for three on field goals that game Bombers could have won that game by 18 you know and that's in Edmonton so what are they going to do now in Winnipeg if they can get their quarterback healthy which is obviously paramount 
but you have all these advantages now of having a home field game and, and you're playing this team that, uh, you know, consistently makes these mistakes against you. And that's why you match up so well against them. So we've uh, rained down the praises on the defense and how they perform against Edmonton. We've talked about Matt Nichols and about how critical he is, but let's uh, circle back to Andrew Harris and Timothy Flanders, because uh, you mentioned CJ Gable. He will be carrying a large portion of the mail on the ground for the Edmonton Eskimos. Flanders and Harris are obviously going to be key cogs in the Blue Bomber offense if the Bombers are going to have any chance of winning, regardless of who's at quarterback. And, you know, that was uh, going into last week against Calgary is a big concern. Hey, where did Andrew Harris go? What happened? Well, guess what? Boom. Magically, Flanders came back, and I think collectively they rushed for, what, almost 150 yards against the Calgary uh, largely starting defense, I think, save for two starters on that defense. Uh, the, they were going against the the top uh, unit in the, in the CFL. So um, no surprise to me that the lights went back on when uh, when Flanders got out there and they're able to rotate and they're able to be multiple and uh, and you know do the things they do out of the backfield as well as between the tackles and 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 hitting the edges. So. It's uh, advantage Winnipeg for what is the most critical probably component in in a game like that, and also you know uh, winter conditions. Even though it's only, I think it's going to be minus two is what the the predicted forecast is for Sunday, which isn't crazy or whatever. But you know your passing game gets shorter too, right? Because the ball hangs up there more, um, the velocity is not the same in cold weather, and you know what other team is pretty adept at a short to medium passing game as well, right? It's the Winnipeg offense until they developed Darvin Adams become that home run hitter and that dynamic kind of deep threat. Um, that was their lifeblood, right? Running the football, uh, play action, and and short to medium stuff, you know, all, all over the field, just sprinkled everywhere. So I think, uh, you know, these conditions... If you can get, if for some reason, these uh, this defensive unit here... It's like, are they all snowmen or what? Because the way they played in Calgary, it was like we hadn't even seen them, you know, to to that degree. Granted, it was against a rookie quarterback, but if these guys are able to play like that in in winter conditions like that, holy smokes, you know, it's going to be an exciting game on Sunday. So we can, I think, safely say that Justin Medlock has his game back on track after a rough few outings. Uh, so let's look at the other aspect of special teams. Kick return yards. Uh Kevin Fogg is one of the leaders in the Canadian Football League, and I'm looking at the league leaders right now, and Edmonton doesn't have anybody in the top. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, either for kickoff or for punt returns. So is Kevin Fogg one of the key cogs as we uh, look forward to Sunday? Yeah, like I said, I mean, these things, I think... Uh, winter conditions slow everything down, so I don't necessarily think you get as many potential breakaway uh, runs and such on on return games. But it's just another advantage I think that this football team has. I think their offensive line is better. I think their running game is better. Um, their defense played lights out last week. Their return game is better. And Matt Nichols, if they can get him healthy, uh, you know, two times in a row now, he's played better than Mike Riley. So it's just these factors you keep adding up. And they're at home. If they can get a good crowd, you know, all these things get magnified in the playoffs. We always talk about margins between winning and losing. They get so much smaller and tighter in the playoffs. But that means that all those little edges you get from a team taking a procedure 
procedure call from a team not being a convey audibles because there's so much noise. All these things become that much more important, I think, in the playoffs. So home field advantage is also even bigger for this football team um, at this time of the year. You know, you mentioned this idea of home field advantage and uh, the fact that the crowd could play a big part in the success that the Bombers have or not. Is, Is that a real deal? Is that a real thing, Doug, this home field advantage in the playoffs? Yeah, no, I, I, I really think. I mean, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were six and three on the road this year, and they were six and three at home, right? So, uh, you could you could make the argument they're equally adept at, at at winning at home or or away from their own barn. But like I said, every edge. I mean, the big thing too. This kind of weather, you have so much more infrastructure and options. You know, when when you play at home and there's difficult conditions. Well, what if you didn't pack enough shoes if you're Edmonton? You know what I'm saying? You got everything here if you're Winnipeg. You got enough long sleeves. You got everything you could possibly. You can make a shoe adjustment. You know, you just have, you're in your familiar confines. So not only from, there's infrastructure already, so you can adapt to whatever is happening out on the football field better than the road team, okay? You've practiced all week on that field. And then you have the luxury of having your fan base not interrupt you, um, you know, incite you with energy and 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 you know, motivating kind of enthusiasm that that trickles down from the stadium. But also, they're disrupting your opponent as well. And uh, some teams get so focused and zeroed in. Uh, in the playoffs, it doesn't really affect them. But like I said, uh, when margins get smaller, when margins get tighter, the little things, it's always these little details that, that, that mean more in a game when you have two teams that have prepared to the, you know, the hundredth degree uh, and that are, are dialed in to, you know, exponentially more than what they've done in the regular season. All these little things are the things that win you the game. So it certainly does not hurt in any way, shape, or form, especially if you can get a good crowd out there. And all it takes is a, you know, you lose a timeout here, you first and 15 there, you know, because of a procedure call, you you didn't get an audible there, you know, you get sacked. These things add up. And in the playoffs, sometimes that's all it takes. Is that the difference between, say, hockey and football? Because you take turns with the ball, right, in football. And so the crowd can have that that effect in terms of disrupting an offense on how they call a play and whether they have to go to a silent count. In hockey, two teams are just conducting their business back and forth. There's no taking turns whatsoever. Football makes it a little bit different. Yeah, and the fact, obviously, that there's no you know seven-game series here either, right? This is this is one, one, and done. one shot deal right. kind of thing. And, you know... It is hard, uh, conversely, just to be uh, to play as devil's advocate here. Um, it is hard to beat anybody three times in a row in one year. Okay, which is uh, what we're looking for the Blue Bombers. What we're looking to do, right? for Winnipeg to do because, you know, the problem if if you're on the other side of that, if you're on the flip side of that, if you're the team that's lost, you're constantly you're tweaking, you're changing, you're searching for an answer, for a solution, for something more effective. That's gonna, you know, get you over the top and and get you over the edge and make you successful against this football team. If you've won both those games, it's kind of hard. You, you don't want to talk yourself out of what you did that made you successful. You're sure. like, well, this is what worked for us, right? In that game, and this worked for us. The second game, do we really want to reinvent the wheel and do something completely foreign to us and not know how it's gonna? You know, you're kind of inclined to go, hey, let's go with what works here. What got us? Uh, to the promised land in terms of a victory against this team last time. 
Whereas you're the other guy, you're like, well, this didn't work. Throw that out. This didn't work. Throw that out. You know, you have uh, it, it's a it's a different environment for you, and uh, also that kind of you know those players are, are very aware that you know the Bombers have had their numbers uh, this year, and it can be a highly motivating force for them too. So winning three times against anybody. Not not the easiest uh, task or chore in the world. What I'm hearing from you is the Bombers are most likely to be more predictable in terms of what they do against Edmonton as opposed to what Edmonton has done against Winnipeg because, as you're pointing out, not much worked against Winnipeg for Edmonton, the Blue Bombers, 2-0, and and really convincingly in both those games. Exactly. Whether Bomber fans call or text, Bob Irving makes sure your questions get answers from Mike O'Shea. It's your chance to stay connected to the blue and gold. The Payworks Bombers Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving, Monday at 7 on CJOB. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for Doug Brown. Thanks so much for tuning in, sharing, downloading, and subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast all season long. We will look forward to catching up with you next week following this weekend's Western Division semifinal between the Blue Bombers and the Eskimos. Hopefully we'll be talking about the Western final featuring your Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders. Go Bombers! Welcome back to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. All right, it's time for uh, predictions, my friend. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, uh, our predictions completely went out the window last week. Wait, but do, that you have, was, do you have Matt Nichols' medical report anywhere in here? And that that really, that's that the accurate. bottom line, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's my prediction. If he's 100% and he, he plays all four quarters, you know, and we don't, we're not sitting up there going, who is this? Who is this guy out there for quarterback? You know, if we're not saying that, I think the Bombers have a fantastic opportunity to win this game. But if he plays a quarter or a half or he plays the whole game and he's kind of limping around and he doesn't have the same velocity on, on the football and he's thinking about his, his steps as opposed to just playing instinctually and reacting, then that's going to be a problem right. for, for Winnipeg. So, yeah, it's a tough week to be uh, Matt Nichols right now. Not only is everyone obsessed with whether you're playing or not, but then when you do play – you know, everyone's going to be like, well, you know, you're truly the, the key to victory or defeat here based on no pressure, you know, based on whether, <laughs> you know, to what degree is this injury affecting you? Right. So it's a tough week to be him, but that's why the quarterbacks get paid the big bucks. And that's why, uh, you know, they're the they're your franchise uh, figures and, and leaders, of your football team, because uh, as they go. The rest of your team goes. Well, I cannot help but think about that week leading up to the 1984 Grey Cup when Tom Clements was injured, quote-unquote, in the Western Division final against the BC Lions. And all week, Cal Murphy played the card and was suggesting that John Huffnagle was going to have to start the game. And lo and behold, guess who comes out and starts the game for the Blue Bombers but Tom Clements. He did lose one of his contact lenses uh, halfway through the first quarter, but they managed to find it. And while the Bombers prevailed 46, 717 over the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but I think Mike O'Shea may be equally as capable of deception as is he, is he the late everybody? Cal Murphy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe you're trying to lull the Eskimos to sleep. I mean, I don't think you you fake the participation of your quarterback during practice week. I think just to you know catch your opponent off guard. But by, he's uh, already said. He's already said. He, he, did, well, he, he said doesn't, he doesn't need, he said to. Doesn't need to practice. He didn't say whether he was going to practice or well, not. But I mean, and so if he does, no big deal, right? He'll be out there, and whether if he's not like 
if he's not making throws or or anything out there like the entire week, if it's like Sunday he shows up and and obviously he's going to know the playbook and stuff. But if if that's the first time we see him live, you know that's a that's a heck of a rope of dope. We'll we'll see how this goes. Doug Brown, uh, hopefully, well, we will get together next week regardless. Hopefully, we're talking about the Western Conference Final for Doug Brown's Greg Mackling. This has been the Doug Brown Podcast featuring conversation around your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.